Hi everyone, welcome to episode 3 of Midlife Film Catch-Up. I'm Sam, I'm joined by my friend... Hello, hello, I'm Chris. Chris, and uh, every week we uh, watch a different film. Uh, Every film was released on a year of our lives, we're uh, approaching 40. Um, I'm 40, I'm 40 already. 40, I'm 38. Um, we started two weeks ago with the film Local Hero. Last week we covered Repo Man. Um, and that brings us to 1985. The middle of the 80s. Um, isn't this week 1986? Nope. No? Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. It's 1985. 1985, the the middle of the 80s, the height of the 80s. Yeah, I was confused because I've been researching films from 1986 for the end of this podcast. Of yeah. course, of course. Um, so this is a, I've been thinking about this podcast and it's a, what I call a definitive, it's, uh, there's a definite time frame to this podcast. We're starting in 1983 and we're finishing in 2023 there's going to be 40 you mean episodes. you're saying you're saying this podcast is finite finite it will end yeah 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 sorry it will no no I, I understood it will end yeah which is to its credit to its credit some would say some would say shooting ourselves in the foot some would say uh to it my tv producer friend uh, the executive Bob's. producer, yeah, Barb's on the executive producer on Blankety Blank. Um, All right. He said uh, the the new <laughs> the new Blankety Blank with Bradley Walsh, who, as you know, I'm a great fan of. Great entertainer, uh, all rounder. Great entertainer. I watch The Chase nearly every day. And what I always tell people is, I don't watch The Chase for the questions. I watch it for Bradley. Right, okay. Um, very sharp, very sharp. And I think you, sharp. Ref- you refer to The Chase as one of your favourite uh, box sets? Yeah, one of my favourite series that I recommend to people. I always say start on season three, because then it starts picking up. It's currently on season um, 11. So you was, so um what did what was your response to Babs when he said um it will end? He said it will end and I said to him, Well, if me and Sam are enjoying it and it's going well, then there's other systems that we can implement to keep choosing films, i.e. we could go around the world country by country. Mm. You know? Or we could get on another friend who's at their midlife and start again. Or we could go backwards from the present year back to our births. We could regress like Benjamin Button. Yeah, yeah. Or we could reconvene in 40 years' time. And do I like that. The, the years uh, 2023 to yeah. 2063. Like the film Boyhood. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that couldn't yeah. be one of the films because in this podcast... We always mm. watch a film that neither of us have seen before. Great. I like the way you brought that back. Um, and this week, 
1985 and we've watched Lost in America. Lost in America is directed by and starring Albert Brooks. It was written by Albert Brooks and Monica McGowan. It's the story of the couple David and Linda Howard who are disenfranchised by their yuppie lifestyle. Uh, David is a advertising executive. Linda, I believe, works in HR. Um, And they decide to give it all up, give away their give up their LA hotshot lifestyle um, and buy a camper van to live on the road to drop out of society, as they call it. Yeah. Um, this this uh, phrase came to my mind, Chris. I think you like this. Yeah. They found that the rat race had become a hamster wheel. Very good. Is that yours? Is that your material? I, I thought of it. As I was watching the film, yeah. That's great. They thought that the rat race had become a hamster wheel. Say it again. So they thought that the rat race had yeah. become a hamster wheel. I really like that. That's great. Have you ever had a hamster? No, no. Um, mm. My friend James Cundall's sister had a lot of hamsters. Um that very quickly perished. Due to disease, malnutrition, abuse? There was very, there was very rarely a uh, post-mortem. Uh, I do remember one time they thought a hamster had died and then they placed the carcass on a radiator and it came back to life. Hmm. As they do. Is that, is that is that common? No, I just thought it'd sound good if I said as they do. Um, I mean, I think I've had a couple of hamsters and there are, yeah, there are a couple of times where you're like, oh, they're dead, they're dead. Everyone come, mum, come look at this, the hamster's dead. And the mum or your older brother is like, no, they're sleeping. And then nine times out of ten, they're sleeping. You've just been waking them up because they're nocturnal. Are you suggesting that... Um... The Cundles were burying hamsters that weren't actually dead. Oh, I wouldn't like to put that on their conscience. I'd say they're probably dead. They they could they sometimes contract a disease called wet tail, uh, which kills off hamsters. I had um, that's a colloquial name for it, not the <laughs> not the the official name. Um, but I had a hamster called Ginger. I had a hamster called Gizmo. Ginger came to a very sad end. Lots of, and just it just it was a very prolonged, long death. Losing Ginger lost her fur, all kinds of things. She was biting herself. Very ugly scenes. Gizmo was a Russian dwarf hamster who escaped uh, one day and crawled in. Named after the uh, character from Gremlins. Named after the Mogwai from Gremlins. Yeah, and. and uh, Gizmo escaped one day because we had these rotor stack hamster cages, which were like a modern Swedish design, sort of the Ikea of hamster cages. Mm-hmm. And um, one aspect is it had these little stoppers you could remove to put your to connect tubes. Okay, it was like yeah. a never ending Lego system of cages you could connect via tubes. But Gizmo was 
abnormally strong and could push these stoppers out. And one day Gizmo crawled into the electric fire Ooh. in the front room, which we never used. Okay. And uh, it was a school holidays. My grandpa was over and he took the electric fire apart and got it out and it survived. That's a good, yeah. that was a good um, story, wasn't it? With uh, Local Hero and Repo Man, I was definitely aware of those as titles, if not much more. This film I've never heard of before. I chose it last week. Was that the same for you? It's got such a generic title that I thought I had heard of it, but I hadn't hadn't heard of it. Maybe you're thinking of Lost in Space or Lost in Translation. Yeah, or Angels in America, Mm. something like that, yeah. Um, so I had I hadn't heard of it. How about the Albert Brooks? What's your relationship with Albert Brooks? My relationship with Albert is that I've only seen him, I believe, in one film, which is Drive, mm. with Ryan Ryan Hatchling and yeah, Gosling, um, Gosling, and where he plays a gangster type. Mm. And it's quite quite menacing in it, mm. and I quite enjoyed his performance. And I know that he did the voice of, I think Nemo in Finding Nemo. Um, I don't think it was. I don't think it was Nemo. The other character. One of the, the other characters. characters. Yeah, he also did the voice. And that's sorry. that's it. Well, I think my abiding awareness of uh, Albert Brooks is as Hank Scorpio in The Simpsons. Right. Okay. Uh, nice, and he, he he does a cracking job of that, and the Simpsons, you know, of any of of any program, film, music, the Simpsons, you know, is is my biggest uh, biggest influence. If, if I, you you I, love it, I love the Simpsons, um, and Hank Scorpio, yeah, was a, a very memorable, brilliant character. Uh, he's also in a film called This Is Forty as Paul Rudd's dad. Right. You're a huge Rudhead. I'm a huge Rudhead and it's in a Patau uh film as well. Um it's You like a you like a Patau. It's a kind of sequel but not sequel to Knocked Up. This is right. funny. Right. Well it's funny we're getting into this territory. We can come back to this again a little bit later. Mm. Uh, you mean the title yeah. of that film? Well, come back to the Apatau knocked up territory because okay. I've got some I've got I've got an opinion. Okay. Later. So I, my, I'm very excited about uh, talking to you about this film because I feel like it's subject matter that you've got very um, strong opinions on. Okay. Yeah. You you spoke last week about being a counterculturalist. Yeah. Um, you're very anti. Uh, establishment the well I was going you're not one for the 9 to 5 nope um and in this film you know they, they set out and you think and you, you know reading the synopsis of the film the synopsis that I just gave then you think oh well this can I ju- can I just say it was a really good synopsis well oh, done. thanks thanks yeah, yeah um 
you think there's you know the, 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 it's got all the makings of of a really interesting dissection of the American dream. Uh, you've got exploration. I saw, I think I saw a lot of stills of the film of you know big expanses of America. Um, so I was I was excited about as I said last week. I was excited to to watch this film. Did it live up right. to its? Did it live up to its uh, those expectations? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. That that yeah. Let's have some quick thoughts from yourself, and then quick thoughts from me. Um, I think you know it's it's on the back of two very strong films that I, I really really enjoyed, and I felt was there was a lot to them. I think this film is a bit more kind of surface level. I think it's it you know it it does some things well. There's some laugh out loud moments to it. Um, but I felt a little bit short changed by the end of it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on this one. Um, uh, I don't want to be too unkind to this film, but um, I found the story a bit wafer thin, mm-hmm. very thin. I kept think I kept thinking of actual wafers while watching it because I was thinking. This is a wafer thin plot, right. wafer thin story, and I kept thinking of thin things like, like um, sheets of baking paper. Yeah, that's quite thin. Or thin. tracing paper, rice paper, uh-huh. wafers. So I was getting a lot of thinness from it, mm-hmm. and <laughs> and um, and I felt like it was a star vehicle, and not in a good way. I felt. I felt like Albert Brooks has written it and directed it. He's a well-known American comedian with a, a very and I read that his persona as a comedian was egotistical and narcissistic. Mm. Uh that was the the persona he chose to portray in his stand-up act and that was very much the character of this film. And I felt like well, it's not so much a star vehicle because he's actually written it and it's actually his passion project. It's his it's his project. Mm-hmm. And and uh it just kind of it's kind of like I can imagine they any Albert Brooks fan would just go and watch it at the time. Mm. So um I didn't feel like it was a very good story or particularly well written or or well directed i think to its to its merit there were some good actors in there lots of the uh lots of the people that he meets across america mm-hmm. um the actors the bit parts uh-huh. did a fine fine job of it considering the script wasn't that funny and the dialogue wasn't that good these uh, character actors did a great job. I feel. Go on, give us give yeah. us one of your uh, favorites. First favorite was the teenage um, hot dog venue manager, the hot dog restaurant manager called Skippy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember <laughs> Skippy. Yeah, and that was probably the only bit where I, I, I chuckled in the film. Is uh, at, the, at the end of the film where the Protagonist's wife Julie Haggerty, who's in Airplane. Mm, okay, yeah. She's she's in the Airplane film. She's great. She's very good um, in this as well. 
she's good in this and um she they've decided to join rejoin the rat race and go and get jobs and she gets a job working in a hot dog restaurant and she brings home to their camper van she brings home the restaurant manager skippy teenage boy with blonde hair never um never explains why he's there does it no it doesn't doesn't explain why he's using the toilet in their camper van um no, they never do. Maybe he gave her a lift home or something to the camper van. Um, and he says, call me Skip. And the bit that made me laugh is that he says, uh, he's talking to Julie's husband, Albert Brooks, saying she's such an amazing worker, such an amazing person. Like today, we served some fries to someone. And... Uh, and then we didn't realise, but we'd only half cooked them because it was a new fryer, a new machine, and we held them up. Julie held them up to the light. I'm using the actor's name there, not the character. Julie held them up to the light, and we could see that the middle was frozen, and only the sides were cooked. And it was such such a mundane <laughs> story <laughs> that that like that like it it has you know. I, I I'm not going to name names, but it reminded me of a young colleague that I currently work with. Who, who <laughs> this is getting into dangerous territory. Who tells quite um, quite mundane stories, but thinks that that those stories are really going to blow your mind when they tell them to you. And that made me laugh, made me chuckle that scene. And um, yeah. And it just showed the vast age difference between this kid and them that he thought that was really like interesting. Yeah, so that you know that that's that's an interesting way of writing, isn't it? Like that, that's that's a well written scene. For, you know, you, you don't see that yeah. kind of thing a lot. And I, I re- the bit that made me laugh the the hardest was uh, early on in the film where he's talking about giving up. He, he, he has the he has the party at their house to say farewell they're leaving los angeles and it's going on about um easy rider which is a a bit of a motif in the film and then there's the yeah. um born to be wild uh track which is that is on easy rider isn't yeah. it and he's like yeah it feels like yeah now he's part of the counterculture and then he pulls up at the side but beside a, a motorcyclist's and he, uh, he yeah. gives the uh, he gives the motorcyclist a thumbs up. <laughs> and then, I mean, you can see it coming a mile away, and then the uh, yeah. the motorcyclist just uh, slowly raises him the finger, middle finger. The, yeah, yeah, I think when you say the finger, it's uh... right. Is that yeah? And in America, that's the equivalent of two fingers up in yeah. in Britain. Yeah, they sometimes call it uh, flipping the bed. Right. Yeah. So uh, the motorcyclist flips a bird at Albert Brooks in his pedestrian camper van which has just made me think of are you familiar with the film anchorman uh yeah i am yeah um did albert brooks um remind you of will ferrell at all his comedy stylings the sort of the, the same no. sort of naivety to them like the no the world is happening to them remind you of the character ron burgundy you mean well no I, okay i'm mixing mixing my uh character up a little bit here but basically i'm just thinking of that that motorcyclist um scene is a little bit like the jack black scene in uh yeah 
But I think I think like you 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 were quite scathing about Brooks before. Um, yeah. Whereas I, I kind of warmed I warmed to this character and what uh, I feel quite warmly to uh, Albert Brooks. Did did you not get that? I I on one hand I I know that it's a persona that he's playing an ego egotistical idiot in this film, but on the other hand, there's got to be something for me to latch on to. Whereas he spelt he spent most of this film just shouting. Yeah, it was quite. Yeah, it was quite grating. He was shouting, and um, and he he had the most dialogue. He'd written so many lines for himself, and he would just do these big, long, rambling speeches, and it and where hardly anyone spoke, and I found I found it a bit annoying. But funny that you brought up Will Ferrell. Did he remind me of him? What who he reminded me of was Seth Rogen, right? Yeah, so, yeah, I, I yeah. Know what you mean? I know what and and you mentioned Knocked Up earlier, and Apatow, Apatow, the producer, writer, and is that right? Direct producer, writer, director. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, fe- it seems to me like Albert Brooks was playing that archetype back then in the seventies and eighties, and now. Seth Rogen has taken, left off, taken off where he left off, taken. He's left off. He's um, taken the baton. He's taken the baton, yeah. Um, However, Rogen is often playing like a sterner slacker character, isn't he? Whereas Brooks is uh, the apotheosis. Yeah, uh, apothesis. Uh, the apothecary. The, the, no. That's a medicine uh, dispense, dispensary. The I think opposite. I think our our vocabulary is getting stretched. We're writing checks we can't cash with the, with with our phrases. Bound to bound to isn't it? Episode three. Yeah, definitely. We're getting confident. That's the problem. Um, but so, but with Seth Rogen, Albert Brooks, their voice was for me. Like listening to the same person. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm guessing uh, mm. Brooks was a big influence on Rogan. I feel like it. Uh, I mean, I think Rogan's originally Canadian. Not, yeah, he is not American, but he's Jewish, and they have a similar build, and they have a similar face, similar jaw, similar voice. Yeah, I mean, you can't really take on people's physical you know, physical yeah. features, can you? No, I'm not saying Rogan bulked out or had plastic surgery to look like Albert Brooks or speak like him. No. But I'm ju- I'm but I'm just saying where where when the reign of Albert Brooks's Hollywood career ended, Seth Rogan was there to step in as the same archetype. So this film, uh, big big spoiler here. So they they set off to um, to drop out of society. I think it's funny how he keeps saying dropping out of society. I think that was a good nice touch as well. The way that he keeps using the phrase 
I've dropped out of society. Yeah, it had it, it. It there was something good in the in the script there where he kept mentioning Easy Rider. He mm. kept mentioning dropping out of society. Like the desperation started to show a little bit with the repetition of things. It kind of it kind of reminds me of Kirby Enthusiasm. Where yeah, you know where yeah. he where he'll break there'll be lots of callbacks in the dialogue like Larry David. There's one episode where he keeps trying to just remind pe- people that he's affable, and <laughs> yeah. he says the word affable two or three times. It's quite funny. Yeah, um, I just thought of another good um, cameo part: the uh, Hans, the um, Mercedes dealer on on a, on the telephone. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was good. That was really good. A bit of trivia trivia for you. Okay. Uh, the person on the other end of that phone was Albert Brooks himself. Oh, really? Speaking to himself, yeah. But I looked on the credits and it, it had a different... Is it maybe one of his comedy characters? He made up a name for the credits. Right, okay. And he didn't reveal, he didn't reveal that that was him until recently. In some I sort did of kind interview. of get an inkling that was happening at the time, did you? Uh, yeah, kind of the Eddie Murphy thing of playing different parts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but so it, it goes pear-shaped, they lose all the money and they try to keep going but then they decide that they're just going to go back to their own lives but in New York rather than LA. In Exactly, rejoin the rat race and nothing really happened. Apart, so do you want to tell people how they lost their savings? Yeah, so so the the plan is for them to get remarried in Vegas. That's the, that's how they're going to start their new life. Um, and the first night in Vegas, uh, Linda, the uh, what's it called? What's she called? Julie Haggerty. Julie Haggerty character yeah. um, goes into the casi- goes downstairs into the casino and basically loses it all on the the craps table. Craps is craps blackjack, ru- no roulette the wheel. Roulette, the roulette table, the roulette wheel. Betting it on twenty. I liked. Yeah, I liked your confidence there with just saying craps table. So, yeah. yeah. It's good. It's good that we try and use American phrases like that. <clears throat> well, hopefully we can sort of nurture a transatlantic audience, can't we? For the exactly, podcast. yeah, yeah. So uh, she was playing roulette. Yeah, and she kept betting on twenty-two, mm-hmm. and that's that's and she's and it transpires at the Hoover Dam that um, she was feeling so, but she she was feeling that she was bottling all her feelings up, um, and they came out in that act of uh, betting all the money away. Which yeah, so she lost their life savings yeah, a little bit, and create uh, paper. Craps, 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 craps. Well, in in terms of, in terms of plot, yeah, yeah. yeah well, I was going to say that that was the only significant thing that happened in this film. Well, he, he gets fired from his job. Yeah, that starts the film off, but yeah, the only sense. bit of sto- story is that she loses life savings, and that was such a short scene that didn't give her any kind of showcase or dialogue and then like the rest of the film were just little vignettes of him meeting people and shouting at them with and but they didn't really add to the story they were just very 
you know, very bare things, right? Crap, crap paper, craps paper. You said, yeah. yeah. You think uh, Brooks was trying to um, <laughs> trying to give a message? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty hammered home. He was. I feel like his message was his message was a critique of the privileged middle class who decide to. They've worked for 10, 15, 20 years in corporate America. They quit with their savings and they decide to drop out and um, drop out of society. But then once they dropped out, they had no imagination. They had no joie de vivre, no zest for life. And they still loved all the trappings of their previous middle-class life. Like the first night they were men a camp under the stars, but they ended up going to a Vegas hotel and they kind of just didn't like they, their characters ran out of steam. Just like this film, I'm getting a bit harsh now, just like this film runs out of steam and they become so comfortable in that life and that they end up going back to it at the end and rejoining the rat race. So I think the kind of message was, a critique of some sort of critique of people who decide to drop out, but actually this they they, they don't re- go through any real spiritual internal change. They just live a different form of their previous life, like that documentary that you and I watched on Netflix that made us laugh about minimalism, about these two these two bros. I don't know if they're tech tech bros, but these two lads who drop out a little bit and become like digital nomads and become minimalist. It's all and just very earning, like, earning lots and lots of money. Earning lots of money and they're still pretty much the same people. And now they just make their living by going from town to town doing talks on being minimalists and getting rid of stuff. But basically they've just swapped one job for another where they've just become self-appointed gurus um so i think that was his message but just the execution of it like it was called lost in america but there was only it was only filmed in three locations in the film they only went to three locations yeah they started started out in la went to las vegas then went to nevada i think well that's where las vegas is isn't it and then ended up in new york so there wasn't anything very, yeah. As a counterculture figure mm-hmm. myself, I didn't feel like this. Uh, it didn't uh, warm my cockles. It didn't get me no. excited. No, I mean, it, it didn't. I, I, yeah. This is like the opposite of the previous films, where the more I think about it, the uh, the less I like it. But what what do you think to this? Um, you know, in any film in any shot in any film there's thought you'd hope there'd be thought choices going into it uh just you know shot by shot in this film the opening sequence is a um is soundtracked by a, a radio show where larry king is interviewing a new york times yep. film critic rex reed as we've said all the way through the film there's um references to easy rider and other other films as well so there's some. What's all that about? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. What is all that about? It was like 
you know, like that didn't seem relevant to the rest of the film. That opening, I I feel like that was a genuine piece of recorded radio, an interview between Larry King and this film critic. Critic, it wasn't staged. I felt it was real because I looked him up and he was a real film critic. And that's playing in their apartment while they're both in bed, and that's your opening of the film. That's the most important thing, and it didn't make any sense for the rest of the film. And it almost seemed like, is it a little in joke that he's put in there? Yeah, I was, you know, worried me straight away, thinking, oh well, there's going to be these screenings for these films in front of industry types. Is all that in there just, you know, for a, like a yeah knowing laugh from the uh, the, Holly, the the Hollywood machine? It, yeah, exactly. If this was a film about filmmaking or if there was a film within a film thing going on, that would make sense. But to start your whole story off with that, just for the purpose of an in-joke, it's kind of like, it's such a wasted opportunity. And the opening shot of this film was just a cluttered apartment. It was really disappointing. But You know, local hero, open, opening shot, Porsche on a freeway, opening shot in Repo Man, what was the opening shot? Oh no, it was it was the map. It was yeah. the map of. Um... It was the map of LA and that really good Iggy Pop mm. uh, song, and it was like really impactful. And then this just started. But I think badly that. And but was that not went. all about the fact that they they keep you know materialism and they keep moving and it's all about stuff and they're about they're about yeah. to move house and they feel like they they they've got. Symbolically, they've got all these yeah. new starts from promotions, and they feel like their life's going to start. And you know, I, all that bit when it, the way that it was set up, I thought was interesting. And you know, obviously, it's been done a lot, um, but I, I still, at that point, had high hopes. I like the way that he was um, practicing his uh, interview in the mirror, but he was just like talking about inviting someone around to a, a barbecue, and it was like a really mundane situ- uh, conversation. Uh, and then he gets interrupted yeah. by his wife, and that, that's quite funny. I, I thought, yeah, I could see that what they were going for with the opening shot. I just didn't think it was visually that interesting. But yes, in terms of themes of the movie, the way it was all cluttered with objects and stuff and packing boxes, it made do, sense. Do you think it was uh, very kind of of its time? Like it, it reminded me a little bit of, and this is a film that I love. Um, the Great Outdoors with uh, John Candy and uh, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. And lots of other films like that where, you know, some they, they set off to do something and then just everything goes wrong. But that's a, that's a good that's, film. Yeah, yeah. That is that is a good film. But if we... if we Is there an element of, like, nostalgia to the reason why we like that film? And we haven't got this before. Oh, right. Interesting. I, yeah, I see what you mean. I think that would make us like The Great Outdoors more. But also, I think it's got a better pedigree. A be- better mm. comedians, better actors. Probably a, probably a team of script writers um, who, you know, co- who come prob- probably... I don't know about Candy, but Aykroyd probably co- it comes from that SNL 
lineage and like that whereby and when those SNL actors start doing films they their films tend to become like well workshopped sketches mm-hmm. crammed with lots of sketches in them and you know usually to their credit um whereas this film was the vision of Albert Brooks and his writing partner Monica McGowan Johnson was it McGowan and it felt a bit thin on the ground wafer thin mm-hmm. not not pa- not packed with gags i want i want gags yeah yeah i thought so i thought it was shot nicely i thought there was some nice land american sweeping american landscapes the desert um i remember a shot of them outside the um las vegas chapel where there's two bells that yeah was that nice. was nice two bells um i don't think they were suggesting that these are two bell ends because americans don't really say the word um, the, the phrase bell end i mean it would have been very clever if um would have been very clever if uh, if that's what they were going for. It might have been a nod a nod to us, we'll, we'll, to you we'll, and me. Um, stick this stick this joke in for the limeys. You think that's what they were maybe doing? Yeah, it could be an in joke. Another 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 in joke. Um, but I I mean I, I hate to keep disagreeing, but I felt the cinematography let us down as well with the landscapes of America. I felt like there was such rich opportunity there. Um, if I was if I was going down the ratings route, uh, my rating for cinematography for this film would be four out of ten. Four less than five. That's less than five. Yeah. Such such wow. such. Uh, you think about other films of the great American landscape shots that can. You know, it was just uh, so. Uh, it just didn't look nice to me. The Hoover Dam. You not, yeah. you not enjoy the shots of the Hoover Dam? No, no. I mean, they captured its, they captured its its vastness well. Its magnitude. Its magnitude, but it was all just one color. You know, I'm looking for colors. I'm looking for. I'm looking for depiction of light and shadow so do you think they should have painted the the hoover dam is that what you no i mean not no not paint it different colors i mean cgi i mean you know no not cgi just like in post no no i'm talking not nothing in post-production or pre-production just the way they shot it if you're gonna shoot a big grey brown dam then at least have some other colours in the frame that are not grey and brown also like their costume and you know maybe that's a production choice making them they they, they wore they still kept wearing their drab clothing I just didn't find it a very pleasing film to look at and I don't think that was done on purpose I think it was maybe just a lack of a lack of art mm-hmm. yeah lack, lack of craft okay well Listen, we talk. We ask two questions every week on this podcast. Yeah. Um, what would you do? If well, you were the main Sam, character? We, Sam, sorry, Sam, we haven't done ratings. Oh right, okay, yeah. I'm, you know, I, I said I said this last week. I'm un- I'm uncomfortable with the whole rating system. Yeah, 
Yeah. And we haven't done one fact each. Uh, well, as you know, we've we brought this recording forward, so I haven't had time to uh, to re- research facts. Um, I've got I've got a fact, and I've got some ratings. Is what I'm saying. Okay. Well, shoot. Go on. Go go through your ratings first, then. All right. You you actually write uh, these down, do you? Uh, no. Cinema. No, I've written down the. I haven't written down the ratings. I've written down the headings. Cinematography. I give four. that four out of ten. Production value. What I'm getting. Value for money from the production. I I I bought it on Amazon Prime for four pound forty nine. Um, Is this what, yeah, I feel this what le- production value means? No, it's not. It, it just made me think of that. So I'm going to call rename this heading value for money. I give it. Oh, I'm going to give it three out of ten. Come Sto- on, you got some. You got some big laughs. Um, I, no, I didn't. I didn't. Big laughs. Uh, you've seen the Hoover. That's the first time I've seen the Hoover Dam in in, in that light. And you know, I feel like I can confidently describe the Hoover Dam now, which I, I couldn't have done before this film. I mean, you uh, could have gone on Google Images to do that. That's true. But I wouldn't got I wouldn't have got the big laughs at the same time. Did you get big laughs from this film? Yeah, so I told you about the the biker giving a finger and the uh, yeah. There's a couple of other things as well I can't remember now. Yeah, well, I'm sure that you enjoyed the scene with the casino manager, which I did. Yes, yeah, and apparently that's um, that was lampooned. Oh, that was. Um, yeah, you have got a in... fact. You have got yeah. a fact. Yeah, go on. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll I'll keep my powder dry with that. Go on, go, go through okay. the rest of your ratings. Okay. Um, story, I give that five out of ten. Four out of ten. Four out of ten. Soundtrack, I'll give it zero out of ten. Because I didn't even, I can't even recall any of it. Well. I mean, there was probably none. There was probably just... There was a very... Uh remarkable bit of soundtrack. Uh, I'm trying to remember which part of the film it was, but it was basically one of those like very jaunty, orchestral 80s sound- soundtrack yeah. bits. There wasn't a lot going oh. on at all. It was basically every- It was when everything was going to pot. They put on some mm. really over-the-top like orchestral Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> That's uh, a good representation. And there was not a lot going on at all. Um, no. But and then the choices of uh, "Born to Be Wild" and "Oh Blue Eyes" is "New York, New York." My way, yeah, not my way. New York, New York. Yeah, Sam, it's time for your ratings. Well, okay. Well, I, I'll, I'm going to flip flip what you've just said. I'd give, I'd go lowest with the story, and I'd go a little bit higher with um, value for money and um, cinematography. So you're not giving me a number. You're no. just saying higher than yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're very generous, though. I feel like you're always overly generous when it comes to me. I feel like I'm always criticising, and you're yeah, being generous. Well, People have spent a lot of time on these things, Chris. On these films. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they have. They have. They have. Yeah. Exactly. I thought I would I don't want to be too critical. Um and yeah, did you know 
Yeah. Did, did you know this? Is um, this a fact? Yes. Um, oh. When uh, Albert Brooks appeals to the casino manager to give back his money, disguising it as a pitch to help him promote the casino, um, yeah. David argues that he and David, who is Albert Brooks, argues that he and his wife are different from all the other sh- all the other schmucks who come here to see Wayne Newton. Yeah. Um, and then Wayne Newton himself guest starred in an episode of one of my favourite shows of all time, The Fresh mm-hmm. Prince of Bel Air, uh, yeah. in a scene parodying, parodying Lost mm. in America. Correct. Correct. So and Wayne, New- Wayne Newton, Wayne Newton, folks, is like, he's like a Las Vegas lounge singer. Mm. And he looks like David Guest. He's got very small eyes with very black pupils. Uh, and he looks a bit like, what I'm saying is he looks odd. He's got like jet black hair and small dark eyes mm-hmm. uh, and looks very shiny in all the photos. And I think he's kind of, yeah. So he was in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. In a, in a scene that directly rips off that scene. Uh, you know, you p- pays homage to that scene. Interesting. So, you know, prop, know, props to the writers of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air for that. Yeah. Quincy Jones. I don't, I Quincy don't Jones. No, the creator. I mean, he was he was great, wasn't he? Quincy Jones, when yeah, you think about brilliant, it. Brilliant, yeah. Michael Jackson begged him to make him a star. Really? He kept he kept hounding him. Quincy Jones was already successful composer, band leader, etc. Um, producer. Michael Jackson uh grown up out of the Jackson Five, keeps phoning Quincy Jones, make me a star, record an album for me, please. Quincy Jones had no interest in it. It eventually relented, and the rest is history. Probably because of the money. Probably, yeah. yeah but who yeah, do definitely. you think um, has got the best reputation? Jones or Jackson? Mm. Now, Jones, Quincy mm. Jones. There we go. You know, it all... Yeah. It all... Uh, Evens out, doesn't it? Yeah, and and there was like a quite a good Quincy Jones interview recently where he just um, name dropped loads of people and got loads of people in, just like revealed loads of gossip that no one ever knew, that people knew but the public didn't know. Like Marlon Brando was sleeping with Richard Pryor. Yes, they had I a relationship. This. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some really juicy stuff. Um. So that so that that was a good fact. Yeah, just something that I've uh, from my research that I've uncovered. Yeah. yeah, good, good. Do you want to hear my fact? Go on, shoot. Um, I like that shoot. Um, so Larry David, again bringing it back to, um, Kirby enthusiasm, Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I feel like Albert Brooks is part of that history and I feel like the comedy style of Albert Brooks is similar to Larry David's mm-hmm. Jerry Seinfeld's um, so reportedly um, Larry David once revealed in an interview that during the 1990s uh, he and his he had to keep working on the sitcom Seinfeld quote he had to keep working hard on the comedy sitcom Seinfeld 
because when he was f when he first was married to his wife they went to Las Vegas and they blew all of their money just like the couple in this movie right okay so did 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 Larry David mention the the movie when he recalled the story yeah in the interview he said just like in the movie um lost in america me and my wife blew all our money in vegas so he had to keep working hard on Seinfeld. So I guess I guess that means he'd already had some success with Seinfeld and mm -hmm. had made loads of money and then they lost it all. Well, interesting. That is interesting, yeah. Don't know, know, don't there's, know. There's, a, there's something there with um, like LA and New York, isn't there, as well? Yeah. I don't know if Brooks, could you tell me if Brooks is from one or the other? This film starts in LA, ends in New York. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Larry David's from New York, lives yeah. in LA. Yeah. Uh, Baz Luhrmann in this in the song um, "Wear Sunscreen" mm -hmm. um, encourages people to live in LA, but not for too long, because you'll go soft. Yeah. And live in New York once, but not too long, so that you get hard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I I like that. I like that that reference to sunscreen. That's great. I, I like that you brought that in. So, if you were um, the couple, David and Linda Howard, what what would um, what would you do? If I was the couple, if I was the couple. No, if you sorry, if you were well, you can pick if you were either Linda Howard mm -hmm. or David Howard in in this film. In this film, uh, what would I do? If I was, if I I go with Linda Julie Haggerty, if I was her in this mm -hmm. film, so so she's given up yeah. her job as following. She's well, okay. Mm. Take it from there. Would you have? Would you have? Uh, Followed your husband and uh, given up your job. Yeah, yeah, I would have. Well, yeah, I didn't like that scene either, where he fought, he went into her workplace and forced her to quit, and then they agreed that she would quit later once he'd gone. That was strange. But if I was her, I'd probably yeah, I'd still go to Las Vegas. I'd probably probably visit the High Roller, the probably go to the Fremont Street Experience or the Mob Museum. Check out the. Um, the Bellagio Fountain. Maybe go to the Wynn Casino. Um, I've been to the Wynn. I've been to the Wynn Casino in Macau, in Southeast Asia. Um, same company. Same. Yeah, Wynn is the name of the guy who runs the casino. Um, That's uh, appropriate, isn't it? W I N. W Y N N. Oh right. I'd okay. probably visit the visit the Hoover Dam while I was there. Just uh, so when you're at the casino, though, do you think you would have, as she did, gambled all that money away? Um, I've been through a gambling phase in Hong Kong. All right, didn't know this. Yeah, went to a racetrack called Happy Valley. Nothing to do with the. Uh, I'm, I've just started watching the. Uh, yeah, series. I mean, I don't know if that series took the name from Happy Valley. In Hong Kong, maybe. Um, a racetrack in Hong Kong. 
so me and me and Liam and Barb's we spent mm-hmm. quite a lot of money in that place um and I very often lost lost money that was my first bit of gambling next bit bit of gambling in my life was in Macau I went there twice on a visa run um and yeah dabbled in the casinos didn't really enjoy it that much and then third 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 and most important significant bit of gambling I did was on the cryptocurrency racket did you when was um, this probably the year before my son was born just like desperate for money and now he's sitting on a fortune following bad advice uh, no I, I i bought so the rule is buy 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 low sell high okay yeah, that sounds like good advice. Yeah, I bought high and sold low. So I bought I bought when it was I bought when it was on a run and Ethereum was doing really well and I bought uh, I bought a fair bit and then that weekend it just all plummeted and then it took another year or so for it to climb back up to what it was and then as soon as it went back to what it was and I realised I could I could get my money back and not lose anything. I just cashed out, mm-hmm. and I'm glad I did because it's it's gone it's really low again now. But that's a fool's game. I think if I was um, David Howard, mm. I would have uh, taken a job in uh, New York, the uh, the Ford campaign. I think that would be mm. a lot of opportunity there for some really interesting. Development, um, cre- career development, creative, um, creative stuff, and uh, you know, I've always wanted to live in New York. Um, mm. And then saved up a little bit of money there, a bit more money, and then and um, just not done the LA bit of the sorry the lost the Las Vegas bit of that trip. Yeah, and then done what what they set out to do, but just you know ten years later. As a holiday or dropping out? Two years. Two years. Doing it for two years. Last week you described yourself as a punk through and through. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that uh, so yeah. I'd probably listen to like the Clash um, mm. in New York and yeah. and on the two year on the two year trip I listened to the Clash. I listened to um, Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah, one eight two, one eight, one eight two, the big punk bands. Um, but you, like, yeah, maybe spike up my hair a bit. Sure. Are there any other successful punks who have combined that with being a company man? Um, I think Strummer would have done. I think Strummer was about to, if he hadn't died of yeah illness. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but he didn't, did he? I mean, he he he. He lived for a fairly fair chunk of time after the clash, and he and he kind of stuck to his principles, didn't he? Mark Hoppus. Who? Mark Hoppus. Who's that? The other the other question that we ask on this podcast is, mm. uh, what was happening in your life in the the year that this film was released, nineteen eighty five. Mark Hoppus, Blink-182. 
I think he's a ufologist. He's a what? A UFO, a UFO guy. Oh, is he? Is he? Interesting. Interesting. So, what were your, what was your life like back in '85? So '85, um, in December '85, I'd be celebrating my second birthday. Okay. Um, still very much. Is that are you are you a toddler or a baby at two? Probably a toddler. So walking, ar- walking around. So I'm walking now. Still in Brand, still in Bransburton. Yep, 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 yep. Um, Jennifer. My brother would be six. Yeah. Uh, is that when you start primary school? Around that time. Yeah. So Bransburton Primary School, which is was um, directly opposite my house. Really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your brother James. Mm-hmm. Um, mother Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Father. Oh, I've lost it. Peter. Peter, of course. And do you think it was an intention of theirs to buy a house opposite the school? Uh, yeah, I don't think it was a. Uh, I don't think it was a shock. What you don't think? What was a shock? The fact that they bought the house and then they were surprised by the fact that there was a school there. No, I'm not asking if it was a surprise. I mean, did they intentionally buy a house opposite a school to make it easier to have children who go to school? Um, well, my, my dad had always lived in Bransburton. Um In that house? No. No, different uh, different areas of uh, the village, but you know it's a small village. Mm-hmm. Uh, proximity to the school, I, I wouldn't have thought that would be that important. It wouldn't be high up on the list, no. Like, let's just put it this way: if you live in Bransburton, you're going to be close to the school anyway. Yeah, that's what I was kind of getting around to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. not not everyone was as close as me, though. No, no. Which I guess had its positives and minuses. Yeah, I can't think of many, many minuses really. Mm. Can you think of any positives? Quick commute. I don't. I don't think I called yeah. it a commute at the time, but no. You know, just across the. If I could. I could go across the field. They soon put um put a stop to that, but I would just go across the football pitch. To get to the school. Yeah, it wasn't the main entrance. So you weren't facing the main entrance. No. No. You were facing the backfield. Yep. So that must have been quite grating that you had to walk around. I remember one one drawback was um, no, I never had to walk around. I always, you know, I was. I think that was maybe my punk kind of um, character coming through. Really, I, no, I, I didn't yeah. go through the main entrance. No, you went straight through. Um, what if I was off ill? Um, and the the my uh, peers were pl- were playing in the in the school field. Yeah, I didn't want them to see see through my window that when I was off. Yeah, I remember that was a uh, you pretty fraught. You wouldn't want them to see you ill. Ill. <laughs> okay, I see. <laughs> so I feel like that's brought up 
something for you. <laughs> <laughs> you okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you okay? Have a drink. Have a drink. Have a drink of water. You tell me about your life in 1985. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to know more. So, did were you skiving one time? I think that I think what yeah what I'm saying is there were times when I didn't feel like I was ill enough to be off school um so I didn't want people to 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 see to see me in my house yeah it's like when you're skiving and then by about by about 11am midday you feel like you could go out to the shop or yeah. something and you're worried about someone seeing you yeah exactly i wasn't you know i wasn't up to anything no 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 one's saying you were just you know if i had to go to the from the living room to the kitchen to get some Lucas <laughs> <laughs> just that kind of thing <laughs> okay yeah interesting So, go on, what's happening in your life in 1985? Uh, so, I would have been three. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I can talk about my first couple of memories. Oh, yeah. okay. So, first one is... Uh, uh, i start with the more traumatic one first. Uh, um, walking around Southport. Have you been to Southport? Yeah, yeah, I know it well. The Lawnmower Museum. Yeah. Um, the pier, big yeah. pier. Yeah. One of the biggest in the UK. Yeah. Um, uh, what's the the street called? The main street. Lord's Lord Street. Lord Street. Yeah. Yeah. So we were on we were on Lord Street, and um, I remember being with family and friends, and then, you know, lot, and it was quite busy, and the next thing I remember, they were gone. Uh, and then I walked around for a while, and then I started getting upset. And then I ended up outside a travel agent. Let's say, should we call it Thomas Cook? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was outside Thomas Cook, and a lady came out of the travel agent agency and brought me inside and sat me down on. Um, one of the chairs that you wait on before you go and see the travel agent and sat with me mm-hmm. until until they my mum passed by or they found her or something and we were reunited but since then I've always had a fondness for travel agents oh really you see it as a safe, safe space oh the Sorry, you, so you mean you, base, you've got a nice fondness for travel agents? They're not like the, a state the people, agent. not the spaces. The people and the spaces, but more, but more the people. They're not like estate agents. They're not trying to fleece. Well, estate agents aren't trying to fleece you, but also they're playing two hands. They're working for two 
opposing, sometimes opposing parties, and it's quite a ruthless work environment. And travel agents, I quite like them. It's a forgotten industry, isn't it? It's one that's losing out to the internet. Yeah, yeah. But in its heyday, it must have been a nice, you know, it must have um, given people a sunny disposition. Yeah. Uh, if you'll pardon the pun. Mm. Um, yeah. You're making people's dreams come true, basically, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So that's memory one. And memory two is. Um, so we're still in St. Michael's Road in Crosby, in the big house, and there's another, there's a there's a party in the garden with family and friends, and um, so I, I've become friends with a boy called Daniel Cowdy, uh, and we, we were best friends at that age of two and three. I think my mum met his mum in the hospital and uh we we used to I used to call it a I used to call it a fwink and he used to call it a dink. You know, that's how close we were. You know. You know, talking Oh sorry. Used to call I... a drink a fwink. I thought you were talking about your penises. No, 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 no. Sorry, yeah, not that. I'm just this isn't the memory. This is just context. Like we were, you know, we were, we were, we were best friends. Um, you know, I had my brother Mike, who is is in some ways my best friend. But at that, but at that time we were brothers, and this was my friend Daniel Cowdy. And mm-hmm. I was just setting context. You know, we were learning to speak. We were growing up together, but we would always arg- yeah. argue over was it a fwink or was it a dink we get into arguments about who was saying it correctly. But his persona was quite bossy, quite domineering mm. to me. I was quite a, a shy-ish child. Sub, sub, you're a sub. I was a sub. He was Submissive. A, he was a dom. I was a sub. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't topping from the bottom. <laughs> I was, I was a bottom. I was, I was a sub. I wasn't trying to top him from the bottom or anything. And, um, yeah, so that was our relationship. He was top dog, which was kind of how my childhood relationships went with a lot of friends that I made. So Mm -hmm. first memory, a party in the garden, lots of adults around, but me and Dan Cowdy were stood at opposite ends of the pond, a a small pond, but we stood at opposite ends on the paving slabs that are around the pond. And we start walking towards each other on these slabs in the on the pond. We're both walking along the same slabs towards each other. My, I remember my actual thought at that time was, it's like my first ever, probably not my first ever memory, but my first ever, I have to make a decision sort of thing. So I'm walking towards him, he's walking towards me. And I thought, he has to move, or I have to get out of the way, otherwise we're going to bump into each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's just say that in previous encounters with Dan Cowdy, he's the one who would always come out on top 
or would be more physical perhaps or more you know domineering and mm-hmm. i would just like let whatever was happening to me happen to me so in this instance we're walking towards each other on the edge of the pond and i genuinely don't remember what happened next i just know that we were walking mm. up to each other and he fell in the pond and got tangled in the the net the cat the net to keep the cats out from eating the fish oh yeah yeah he got tangled yeah. in the the net in the pond oh, and all the, all these adults ran ran over and saved him got him out of the pond Ooh, and uh, then it became folklore that i pushed dan cowdy in the pond but and in my mum's words because like, you were sick of him dominating you sick, sick of him like quotation marks top dog. bullying me but he didn't he wasn't a bully it's just you know that's just no. the, the dynamic it's more subtle he was more, it's more subtle, subtle. <laughs> more insidious but he you know he nearly he, he nearly drowned and then mm-hmm. it became folklore that oh chris pushed dan cowdy in the pond and then but i you know i genuinely don't remember if i pushed him in or not I think what it was more a case of was me standing my gr- maybe the first time I stood my ground towards someone who didn't realize I was capable of that because as you know I've quite an easy going may- maybe I don't know what you think if I'm quite an easy going person um yeah but you wouldn't I wouldn't want to cross you interesting yeah well that maybe that's something to do with this is that uh, if I see a weakness, I'll strike. Pounce. A pounce. Or if I, or if I have, or if it comes to the crunch, maybe better way of putting it. If it comes to the crunch and I have to stand my ground, then I, I can. I just, I, I, I maybe you just don't want to repeat history. You don't want another uh, cowdy in your life. You don't want a cow tow mm. to cowdy or anyone. I like don't. It. I don't want to be ridden roughshod over yes. I don't want to be road roughshod again over yeah. again yeah um, but what you're saying there as well we talked about Sid and Nancy yeah. the end of Sid and Nancy where mm. Na- Nancy's dead in the hotel room and Sid just can't remember what happened yeah how she how she died yeah I can't remember you can't remember what happened I, to Cowdy I can't remember if I pushed him or if or if he fell, or if we tried to go side by side and he fell because he was on the inside, I was on the outside, or whether I just didn't accommodate him and he ended up getting pushed. Speaking of films, (laughs) we now need to choose what film we're going to watch this week. Okay, so as you know, Sam, I'm choosing, I get to choose the film for next week. Mm -hmm. Can I just say how incredibly difficult this week has been for choosing a film because 1986 was an absolute year for brilliant films this is this is the um this is the challenge that we're going to have i think uh, i think it started it started this year in 1985 there's a lot of films that were really good so we've naturally we've seen them already i'm i'm going to shoot through really quick i'm just going to rapidly say all the great films that come out that we've probably seen blue velvet mm-hmm. crocodile mm-hmm. dundee uh, Stand yep. by Me, Labyrinth, Brilliant. Sid and Nancy, yes. Sid and Nancy, of Wonderful. course, by Alex Cox, Short Circuit, Three. Disassemble. Pardon? 
Uh, just d- disassemble. That's what uh, Johnny Five says, doesn't he? Yeah. Three amigos. Chevy Chase. Big trouble in Little China. Not seen it. Right. Anyway, th- so, those, so go on, what those, your those are the films. So I've gone for films that we haven't seen. I'll read them to you now. Mm-hmm. And films mm-hmm. that are available via streaming. First, Good, that's first film is called The Green Ray or Le Rayon Vert by Eric Roma. French. Okay, this is, this is new to me. Okay, French director Eric Roma of New Wave French cinema in the same uh, time period as Jean-Luc Godard. Um, synopsis and I've only gone for films that are highly regarded by people Um, Mm -hmm. Delphine by the way yeah Lost in America was highly regarded I don't want to yeah okay uh, and okay cast aspersions also I'm trying to get us out of America as well the last three yeah that's that's a good idea two films Uh, I'll give you a quick synopsis of The Green Ray Delphine's travelling companion cancels two weeks before her holiday So Delphine, a Parisian secretary, is at a loose end. She doesn't want to travel by herself, but she has no boyfriend and seems unable to meet new people. Thus begins a summer looking inside herself and outside herself for love. PG. PG, okay, that's (laughs) answered my first question. (laughs) Okay, bear that in Um, mind. And it's it's meant to be quite mysterious and interesting and one of his one of his highly regarded films. Second film, She's Gotta Have It by Spike Lee. Mm, Spike Lee. Uh, so I've seen that one. Black and white independent film. Okay. By the way, the Green Ray, the Green Ray is two pound forty nine on Amazon. The, mm-hmm. She's Gotta Have It Netflix, but I'm gonna delete that one anyway. Third, second choice available is called. Shadows in Paradise, directed by Aki Kurismaki from Finland. And this is the, an episode in the life of Nikander, a bin man, involving the death of a co-worker, a love affair, and much more. And that's an idiosyncratic comedy that is highly regarded. And do you want to hear the third film? And that's £3.49. Go on, third film, yeah. Third film, The Terrorizers, available for free on movie. I think you have movie. In Taipei, the marital crisis between an emotionally stunted writer and careerist doctor is mysteriously intertwined with the story of a photographer and petty criminal. Police cars speed through the streets of the metropolis, helpless witnesses to new and violent social contradictions. Directed by Ed. Taipei is the... What's Taipei? Taipei, not Taipei. Taipei, the city. In Ta- and what's Type B? No, it's not. It's not Taipei, Type B. Taipei, capital city of Taiwan. Okay, right. Okay, okay. Gotcha. The gotcha. Film. So that's Taiwanese. Am I led to believe? It, you are. I've. I, if if I've led you to believe it's Taiwanese, I don't apologise. Because it is. Uh, the Terrorizers, directed by Edward Yang, part of, re- revitalized the nation's cinematic landscape in 1986, part of the new Taiwanese cinema movement. Out of those three films, Great. 
what would you choose? Great shortlist. Um, so there's the Erotic Odyssey. Yeah. The French one. PG. There's a, a comedy about a bin man. Yeah. Which I'm, you know, I, I'm immediately drawn to. But I'm intrigued by... Um, I'm always intrigued by Taiwanese cinema. Uh, yeah. Um, I can't really remember what the story was there, what the synopsis was there, because I was sort of fixated on Taipei. Yeah. Um, but I am also, I'm conscious that we've just watched a comedy and we've, we've potentially seen three comedies. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'll leave it. Obviously, it's, it's in your hands what, what you're saying. Do you know what I'm choosing? The film Shadows in Paradise has got Sam Turner written all over it. <laughs> Idiosyncratic <laughs> comedy about a bin man. And it looks funny in a very Sam Turner way. And I've decided to give you what you want. And I'm choosing that film. Well, I'm I'm, I'm really uh, grateful. Did you say that's Finnish? It's, it's from no, it's well, yeah, it's from Finland, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll tell you what swung it: the PG rating of the Romantic Odyssey. The PG rating. Right. If so, if that was an eighteen, you would have gone for the Green Ray. Yeah, I mean, you could have been the next blue. Blue is the warmest color, couldn't it? Yes, film that yeah. film that a film like, that we've seen, like it, yeah. um, and do you know what put me off the terror? I, I really like um, films from the Far East, but do you know what put me off the terrorizers? Um, no, go on. I watched the trailer, and I don't like the sound, recorded sound of liquids being poured, pouring liquids. Mm. Okay. And in the trailer, right. in the very short trailer, there was a man weighing. Not on screen, not on screen. He, you know, mm-hmm. he's just gone to the bathroom, he's doing a wee. So there was a sound of the wee going in the toilet. And then there was the sound of him pouring some water. No, having a shower, using the tap from the basin in the bathroom. And, uh, right, and it okay. made my skin crawl. And I thought, if this film is full of just liquids, I'm it's gonna I'm gonna struggle with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that should put put you off because it's it might just be the yeah the you know just inadvertently chosen to. It was probably just liquid. yeah. You're right. It was probably just that moment of the film because he was going out for the day, so he's having a wee and washing his hands. Put me off though. It put me off. So I've gone for. You know, like I can't watch a, a cereal advert where they pour the milk on the cornflakes. Oh, really? You know? No, I didn't know this about yeah. it. Yeah. So um, I've gone for Shadows in Paradise. I don't, I'm trying to think if I've I've seen any other uh, films from Finland. Yeah, it'll be one to we'll we'll check we'll have, we'll do some research next week. Okay, so where when where can people find this if they want to uh, watch watch along? Um, on Amazon Video for three pound forty nine uh-huh. rental. Is there a phrase? That oh, we can end, um, end this I haven't with? even. Well, hmm. how about this? Yeah. 
the rat race can become a hamster wheel. Mm, I like that. Type A. 